0: This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. It not only educates its students about today's communication industry, but it produces innovative leaders. For more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today is the last of a three-part weekly series examining issues surrounding race, media, and politics, and the interrelationships between the three. Today's conversation is with Will Cooper, a senior editor for Vice Media in New York City. Will covers race and law enforcement for Vice, among other topics. He's produced both long-form and shorter stories, and he also has produced critically acclaimed full-length documentaries. He's written a series of essays and investigative reports, and he has a unique perspective on institutional racism and the criminal justice system. Being the son of two Cleveland police officers, he's seen the judicial system from all sides. Looking over your your background, Will, you, you have done so many different things. Mm-hmm. You were uh, – you worked with the World Wildlife Fund. You worked with Sun Newspapers, which is a suburban chain in, in the Cleveland area. <laughs> You're taking it way back. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you, you did some things when you were at Ohio University. You interned at Medical Mutual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then uh, Time Out in New York and now a senior editor for Vice Media. You've really covered the waterfront of, uh, of of media. How does all that help you or does it in doing what you're doing today?
1: Um, you know, it, it definitely was a, a progression. Some of that earlier stuff that I was working on, like with um, the Sun News stuff, um, you know, the sort of local newspapers, like understanding uh, – how to find stories in a small community and how to tell those stories and, and speak to a specific audience, I think, are invaluable things that young journalists need to learn. So those were those were definitely building blocks to help me get along. the The medical mutual uh, experience was so different from uh, what it what it means and what it is to work at Vice, but it was it was really an opportunity that financially helped me transition to New York. It was a it was a, a very um, like well-paid internship program, you know, because it's, it's an insurance company, and I got to meet with a lot of movers and shakers um, in the city of Cleveland and, and connect with that world. Um, and it, it was great in, in just helping give me a little nest egg then to transition to, to New York City, where I, um, you know, eventually started working at Vice.
0: So being in New York City and working for Vice, but being a Midwesterner from, mm. from Cleveland... Uh, has it changed your perspective? Do you look at news differently? Do you look at stories differently?
1: You, you know, coming to Vice for me almost was like coming home because I think being in the Midwest um, for a long time, I, f- I was really attracted to a lot of cu- culture that I felt like I couldn't, didn't have access to. I mean, like, literally living in Ohio, it was hard to physically get a copy of Vice magazine because um, you could only get them at at places like American Apparel or record stores or whatever, and then they would always disappear. So even just, like, acquiring a piece of Vice was really hard growing up here. And and the culture that it represented of, like, um, you know, skating and and hip-hop and um, just kind of, like, subversive counterculture that I was always really attracted to. And so... It was something that um, being in Ohio and, and hanging with my—I my, had my little crew of friends, but we all felt like a little bit like outsiders. So uh, many of us ended up moving to New York City, and, and there I think it's still the same thing where a lot of the culture and things they were interested in are niche and small, but there's just so many more people that you kind of feel like you're, um, you're really immersed in it. So when I, when I first moved to New York, I settled in, in Brooklyn, and the, the vibe and the scene there— um, in in two thousand and ten. Um, you know, it was just a really awesome experience to be around so many young people who were creative, who were into music, who were into fashion, who were into It's
0: the place to be in New York yeah. now, right?
1: It, it it was it was it was a lot of fun and and um, you know, so coming so I guess what I guess what I'm trying to say is that In Ohio, um, I had a small group of friends that I was close with, especially in Athens, hanging out at the Union and stuff like that. And then going to to New York City and joining up with Vice was like having that culture be legitimized and magnified to a a, a really great level. All the things that I was interested in and fascinated and fetishized as a young person that seemed to be marginal or um, kind of – on the fringes, by the time I came to New York City and and settled in Brooklyn and joined with Vice, all those things that, you know, people weren't interested or they didn't think were cool, they were cool and within that community. And what's been really exciting for me to see is over the past, um, you know, six years that I've been at Vice, I've seen that culture and that aesthetic and that mindset um, become not almost like mainstream you know everybody knows what vice is now and the the tone and the the spirit of what we do is on cable television you know and so that it's it's really exciting to see the this niche outsider thing become what everybody thinks is cool it's on cable television does
0: uh it's on hbo yeah. and, it it's now become mainstream <laughs> so you you've done a lot you've written personal essays. You've done, as I understand, long-form documentaries. Uh, You've done investigative pieces. You've really covered the waterfront uh, of journalism. Uh, Talk about that, and is that important to you to continue to do all of those things, or is it do you want to specialize and, and become the best documentarian around
1: i it, you know i think what what sort of grounds everything that i do is a passion for storytelling and i really approach every story kind of the same way, you know, from thinking about who the interesting characters are, um, what needs to be pulled out and teased out and what makes those things fascinating and, and why the, those stories need to be magnified and, and put on put out on a, on a bigger platform. Um, so that's like the core of it, that passion for storytelling and basically I always saw myself first and foremost as, as a writer and I always wanted to write features, that was my, my main goal, but when I came to Vice um, I sort of managed to accomplish some of the main goals I had in my life really fast. So I think like I'd only been at Vice for like two years before I had had my first full-length you know, investigative feature in the print edition of the magazine which was like my my huge goal so then it, it kind of was like okay what do I do next and so ever since I had that feature published in the print I've just been kind of going for it and as the company has expanded and grown I've just tried to get involved in everything that they're doing so writing is still the uh, the foundation for, for everything that I do and the reporting is the foundation for everything I do but when they expanded to TV and Viceland I wanted to be there when they expanded to HBO I wanted to be a part of it when they started doing, uh, iPads and stuff. I wanted to be a part of like whatever they do since I'm there, I just want to grow with it. And, and the cool thing too, is that, you know, everything that I do, I do it with other people. So there's a team that supports you and helps you make these different pieces of content. So when we do a documentary, I don't have all the, film skills that everybody else has. But I work with talented producers, um, the, the creative direction, the executive producers advice, who all come together to support the story idea that I have. And, and it's with that team effort that allows, allows me to be able to kind of switch and shift gears and try new things because I come with the story. And then a lot of other people who are much smarter than me in different ways help me achieve it on that different platform.
0: I know some of the things I've read about you say that you cover issues of of race and law enforcement, but what I'm hearing you say is that you're not pigeonholed necessarily. Mm-hmm. You can cover a story, uh, depending, you know, beyond your beat, so to speak. Is that is that correct?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I definitely tried to cover a wide range of things. Um, You know, early on in my career, one of the the first features that I did that I was really proud of was an investigation on uh, the rehab industry in in California and and really focusing on how a young man died while in in the care of a rehab center and looking at the circumstances around his death and how that represented the lack of regulation that um, happens with um, addiction treatment centers in California and all across the country. And that young man was, you know, a white, white kid um, who grew up in uh, the country, you know, very different background from me, very different family from my own. And I was able to, I was uh, attracted and was able to connect with that story because I felt it was an important story to tell. And, um, you know, that people, I think that's a big part of what I want to do. I want to do tell stories that go outside of race. But then at the same time, obviously we're in a situation where race is such an important issue. And as a black man in America, if I have a voice or an opportunity to add to that conversation, I definitely will as well. But I want to show young people, young journalists, young writers that you can do that and do other stuff. So I've done a lot of fashion stuff. Um, I've done a lot of hip hop stuff. I've done a lot of, I just did an HBO piece on uh, bionics and, uh, new technology that's helping disabled people restore their mobility and and stuff so bionics
0: are, are- prosthetics that that are mechanical and, and robotic. Is that
1: correct? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, bionic technology that like, uh, I mean, so, you know, talking about the race stuff, but then doing something where I'm in literally in a in the middle of a brain surgery, watch, watching a man, a surgeon, drill a hole through a guy's head and implant a microchip that can cure his Parkinson's disease. You know, that's the, the kind of crazy experiences i've been able to have by working with vice and i really the talking about race and talking about um what that means today in america is incredibly important for me but also just telling really good stories and going wherever the stories take me is important as well and i hope when uh young other young black journalists or journalists of color see what i do they'll see that there's a great diversity of interests and topics and you know the thing the thing too is that black people aren't a Island where we only care about one topic, you know. So if I do a story on bionics, that doesn't mean that just because the 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 subjects are white that it don't, it's only important to white people. There are definitely black people who it's important to as well. So having a diversity in stories is is important to me. And really, I'm just I follow my passion. I mean, that's that's really what it's about. Just, I just kind of I, I don't have a strategic uh, plan. If I had a game plan, it probably would be to focus on one thing, but I just I kind of like to get out there and, and chase the story wherever it is. So
0: what makes a good story to you? What, what, what reaches out and, and grabs you and, and says, "Well, uh, tell me?"
1: Well, I like to cover stories that are things that people aren't talking about. And are or are not, are not talking okay. about. So issue or or and definitely, I like to talk about issues that maybe seem silly or stupid to some people. So like one of the one of my favorite stories that I did for Vice um, was a story about illegal uh, illegal plastic surgery or underground plastic surgery. That's trend that's been happening um, all over the country. Uh, Mainly for butt augmentation, people getting butt injections and things like that. And when you read and look at a lot of the material that had been done on this uh, subculture of underground black market plastic surgery, most of it was done in a sort of tabloidy, shocking sort of way, or they were just quick news hits. But no one had ever really taken the time to investigate and talk about this issue seriously and in in a serious way. And that's the kind of thing that I get interested in. Like, I'll read an article that maybe it's a feature story and it has like one line about something weird or offbeat or obscure that the writer mentions in passing and that's the thing I want to fixate and focus on or maybe something that everybody thinks is too silly and there's no story there. That's actually where I want to go and and, and really try to dive deep into it. And so I ended up writing a, a feature story about um, these illegal uh butt injections that were happening and really getting into the history of it, the culture of it, how it, how the trend originated, and also the, the, the medical problems with it and the, the fact that um, there's a lot of serious issues to it because although it may be unfortunately funny to some people or kind of shocking or whatever, it's real people are dying as a result of these uh, these these black market procedures. So it's, it's an important story to, to talk about in a serious way.
0: Well, people open up to you or talk to you because you're from Vice that wouldn't talk to the New York Times or the Washington Post is is being from Vice hmm. an advantage?
1: I, you know it may it may be, have become a little bit more of an advantage today um I think that the the best advantage about being from Vice is the work that we've done so like For instance, I did a documentary in Cleveland um, on a serial killer who targeted uh, very impoverished black women in the city of Cleveland. And he was able to murder at least 11 women. Um, He was also a serial rapist, so he raped several women. Um, And we, we did that story really honoring and focusing on the lives of those women more so than the serial killer. And we really tried to dive into who those women were and humanize them and make those women, make people see those people as real women, because one of the- Not wo- just victims. Right, and, and not just, and because because they were poor and black, people didn't really, it felt like people didn't really care that their lives had been taken away. So that was one of the main focuses of our, of our piece, was to humanize them and make people recognize the tragedy that had taken place. And because we treated those um, women with such respect and dignity, I've had lots of sex workers, lots of people um, who have suffered um, different kind of sexual abuse reach out to me and share their stories with me. And that I think that it's like the strength of the work that we have done and the the unique way that we cover stories brings new people to us. You know, it brings new stories to it, to our to our our footsteps and allows us to take advantage of it. So in, in that sense, like every time we do a dope story, every time we every time we we nail it. I think it it allows us to get more unique access to people who trust us because we, we did it right the first time. And hopefully we can keep it going.
0: So Vice is becoming more and more popular, and we've talked about that. And certainly, uh, if anybody's uh, watched uh, Vice documentaries uh, following Bill Maher on mm-hmm. Friday nights on on HBO, they've seen some product of the work, and there's also a cable channel uh, where where they can see it. But what makes a vice piece different? Now, I, I I think the the easy answer is story, and and story is unique as you have described. But there are other elements that make a vice piece different, and I think accessible. What are those?
1: I think for when. Hmm. It's a, it's a tricky question because the what vice is continues to evolve it and grow. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, know. you know, it, and and, it, and it's hard. Maybe what makes one of the things that makes it unique or that's a hallmark of our of our brand is the unique perspectives and point of view that we bring to stories, uh, you know?
0: take a 60-minute piece mm-hmm. and take a vice piece <laughs> and and contrast them. There's a real difference. Mm-hmm. Both are investigative pieces, both are factually accurate but they have a totally different feel the device piece to me is more personal the reporters involved the the reporters there and and you're seeing them sweat and <laughs> and be afraid or whatever the right. situation is that's sort of sanitized on on network but uh, am i it, am i getting it? no
1: i think i think absolutely you're right i mean when i uh was a young journalism student and even before that when i was in high school i was really attracted to uh the new journalist you know that whole movement of writers uh from truman capote to hunter s thompson um the tom wolf like that spirit of of embracing the story and, and getting deep into the story and allowing um, who you are and your personality and your feelings and, and your thoughts to uh, be on the page there with the information to offer a new kind of truth. Um, and I think that Vice, when I discovered Vice and, and, and became obsessed with it, I, f- I think that it had figured out a way how to capture some of that spirit and, and carry it forward. And I think that that um, spirit is still, in the documentaries and stuff that we do you know there's been a great evolution from the stuff that we did on youtube uh you know five or ten years ago whatever it was to the things that are, are happening on hbo now and on viceland but that spirit is still there and the unique perspective especially like when you look at viceland it's a channel where so many of the shows are grounded by individuals who have a very unique way of looking at the world and so when they tell a story you get it through their prism and that offers you insight into something that maybe not everybody else has if you see michael k williams um doing stories about the you know black markets around around the globe it's fascinating because michael k williams is is a brilliant fascinating guy who has this singular point of view that is so inspiring you could he could See him read a newspaper and it'd be interesting. But having him go, you know, do do the things that he does in his show. It just makes it really, really cool. And I think um, that's one of the the awesome aspects of Vice is it's giving a, a space and a platform for people who have these unique perspectives to tell stories and they're allowing these people to offer their perspective. They're not sanitizing it, as you say. They're not whitewashing it. it it's right there with the content. Um, it's like, Particularly like going back to the Red Right Hand uh, Cleveland Strangler piece that I did, one of the things that made that piece special and different from a lot of other documentaries about crime was that it was very much grounded in the fact that my parents were police officers in the city of Cleveland during the time that the serial killer was murdering these women. And so... The, the piece was driven by their critique that they often had told me as growing up of the lack of policing that was being done in the city of Cleveland to stop things like this happening because the system as a whole doesn't value the lives of, of, of poor black women. You know, so that that personal connection, that intimate connection that I have with my parents that starts the documentary, that's the first scene that you see is me talking to my parents about this crime. That's what makes that documentary different from every other um, true crime documentary or serial killer documentary, because this one is is personal. This is my hometown. This is my backyard. This is my perspective or my point of view into into this story that may have been talked about before, but it's never going to be talked about in the way that I'm going to talk about it, you know, because I'm allowed to put my unique stamp on it and tell it with intimacy and personality.
0: We'll be back after this short message. the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University and its leadership and faculty strongly support diversity in all of its forms. The college has defined the concept of diversity as acceptance and respect for all and understands that each individual comes with a unique set of life experiences shaped along the dimensions of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, and gender identity, socioeconomic status, age, abilities, religious beliefs, political beliefs, and all other ideologies. At the Scripps College of Communication, diversity is about understanding one another and moving beyond simple tolerance to embracing and celebrating the rich dimensions contained within each individual. Diversity enables the exploration of varied life experiences in a safe, positive, and nurturing environment. To learn more and find out how you can become part of this diverse community, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. In this era of tension between... uh, the African American population, especially black males and and police officers, uh, across the nation, being the son of two police officers, has that.
1: How has that added to your perspective or shaped your perspective? I mean, I think the unique thing about being everyone always assumes that because my parents are police, I would be very. Um, I'd be on a different side of the argument than I am, but actually because my parents are police, um, they've seen the injustices and the institutional racism up close and from the time I was a child, they've made those things very clear to me and are probably more were probably more worried about me interacting with police as a young person when I first got a You know the driver's license and got the ability to drive and go out into the world, they were probably more worried about my interactions with police than anyone else because they had seen it, they knew it, they understood what it was. Um, So I think the foundation they gave me growing up and the things that they talked to me about are very much um, what has helped shaped my point of view and the stories that I tell and, and the writing. And one of the things that I'm trying to think about and deal with more is you know, how do we continue to advance these conversations beyond just the um, unarmed shootings of of young men? Because that's one aspect of a bigger, much more entrenched, huge uh, institutional problems that we have with the system that go from mass incarceration to civil forfeiture to all kinds of stuff. And how do we continue to keep talking about these things in in complex ways? Not obviously, not forgetting. The shootings, but also br- bringing it out to where where else this institutional bias rears its its ugly head? Because going back to the the, the piece with uh, the Cleveland Strangler, you know the the fact that there were so many women um, who were reporting that they had been raped by this person, but they they they're. they're, they're uh, their pleas weren't really heated, the fact that there were so many families who were going to the police and reporting their their loved ones missing, but no one was looking for them. That's a representation of how black lives don't matter, just as much as a police shooting is representation of how black lives maybe don't matter to the justice system today. And so, um, yeah, having my parents raise me the way they did has given me unique tools to be able to think about this stuff and talk about this. And and hopefully, I can continue to add to that conversation and and be a part of moving it to other spaces where it needs to be addressed as well. It seemed like uh, probably
0: in the summer of 2016, when we had several incidents back to back in a short period of time, that we were finally getting to a conversation about race. I think people finally said, OK, maybe this is something we have to deal with. And then it got drowned out by all the political rhetoric of, of the campaign. And now today, you rarely hear about Black Lives Matter or or, or any of the other movements. Um, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What, it,
1: I, I think that what's fascinating uh, for me as a young person sort of coming of age in this era, you know, Black Lives Matter is like uh, a thing that happened really at the point when I was becoming a man, becoming a who I am, like developing my ideas and, and how I view the world. Um, and then having the chance to look back and talk to my parents and recognizing that we've seen some of these things happen before and play out in the same way. It almost seems like... A, a cycle, and and so I think that what happens is if you don't address these issues or deal with them, um, they come to a head, and then maybe they they chill out for a little bit, but then they come back to a head again. I definitely don't think that we're done having these conversations, and if real change um, doesn't happen, if 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 the some of the foundational stuff that was done um, in the last, just the last couple of years of Obama's administration and uh, some of the things that are were being happening across the country in response to this new dialogue that we're having. If those uh, changes don't continue and go further, um, we're gonna be right back at the same place we were, you know, when, when people were out in the streets and, and upset like it's 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 never gonna go away until we fix we fix the problem. Uh,
0: this again may be a bit convoluted, but bear bear with me. Okay mm-hmm. uh, when I talk to soldiers and veterans and I was never one, I try to get their concept of their mentality during war and most of them to the person say that the only way they could do what they were asked to do or what they needed to do was to dehumanize the, the opposition. If I listen to the political rhetoric. Of today, especially from the White House, mm-hmm. it's that urban life is a war zone, and it's nothing but terror and violence and deprivation and and it's the worst environment I- in the world. It seems to me it's almost an attempt to dehumanize the the, the urban condition.
1: I, a, a, am I off base? No, no, I, 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 t- I 100% agree with that sentiment. And I would say that there's a long history of that. You know, when you look at uh, black people in America, we have been dehumanized forever. You know, I mean, there was a time when, when there was the conception that black people had tails. This was a, a, a belief, you know, people l- looked at us as a subspecies. Um, I- and the fact that our enslavement was actually good for us like like dogs or something you know because, to take care of yeah you know, yeah that. and you know so this dehumanization is not, is not nothing new this is actually a very ingrained fabric of what race is like in america today i mean in the constitution we weren't black people weren't whole people literally de- Pro- dehumanized property yeah yeah you know and so um this is uh this, this is just a, 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 a new manifestation, a new extension of, of, of that phenomenon. And, and the dehumanization is done in an effort to justify the treatment. Because if you can't see these people as people, then it's okay to treat them the way that you do. So given that history, given
0: what we've just talked about, what does that do to you as a journalist? What, what does that spark you? Does that make you look for different kinds of stories? What, what motivation, if any, does that give you? It
1: definitely, it's definitely something that I think about, and I think that it plays a, a big role in the, my my representation of my, myself and the, some of the stories that I choose to to choose to pick and to tell because I want I want black people. Spe- specifically, specifically to know that they have value, that they're worthwhile, that they have culture, that they have history, and so I pick stories where I can be on a in a position where I'm exploring that and and learning that in in real time. So, take for instance a piece that I did for Vice uh, recently called um, "Juve: The Brooklyn Masquerade." It's a feature-length documentary we did. Um, on the carnival celebration that takes place in Brooklyn. And it's a celebration about, um, you know, freedom from slavery. It's a celebration that that really uh, honors West Indian culture. And it's all a part of the, this we- thriving West Indian community that takes place within, within Brooklyn. But it also has this history of violence, and a lot of politicians and, and critics focus on that violence as an excuse to possibly stop it or to um, regulate it in one way or another. And they paint it in almost some of the same language that you were talking about, uh, that, that Donald Trump paint, paints urban life in America today. And what we wanted to do with that documentary was get into it and show you the real people that are involved in it, the real young people, how they celebrate it, what they think about it, and show the full spectrum of it. Because life is complicated and complex, and black people are just like anybody else. You know, we're, We are... We are complex. And I want before even before talking to white people and representing those stories, I want us to know us, you know, so I'm I'm a lot of times I'm writing and thinking about what other young blacks are going to think and get out of the pieces and stories that I write and how it's going to impact them. Not that it's not for white people or whatever, but just that I want to remind them that we have something valuable, something special, and I want them to see. Uh, the unique things that we bring to the table, and obviously, when you talk about anything, not all of it's good. There's complexity to it, but I'd rather paint a, a complex portrayal than a uh, than the sort of twisted, one-sided thing that you see in a lot of media today.
0: And and this targeting, uh, uh, war zone mentality that that we have, it, it has to be degrading or or depressing.
1: That that your thoughts so little of. I think when you live, when you live in a a country that, that systematically um, dehumanize you or doesn't honor your existence, you start to believe it yourself. And so you have to almost do go through a process of, of, you know, decolonizing your, your mind. And, and it's something that I think you, you just, you have to, you have to go through in the same way that like, if you're a woman, you could, Possibly have misogynistic ideas simply because we live in a misogynistic society. and so there needs to be a lot of critical thinking and thought done um, to sort of break your mind out of that and it's something that I'm actively involved in and in, in, it's part of the reason why I picked some of the stories that I picked to learn as an excuse to learn about my own culture and learn about uh, my history myself and and um, you know understand understand myself better, you know, and, and understand why I may have felt one way or another in the past because of being inundated with some of, some of these portrayals and images and, and ideas. Um, so it, yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely an impact that the, the discourse and the dialogue and, and the culture has on, on your mind when you're black and everyone is telling you that blackness is ugly or blackness is violent or blackness is savage or blackness is you know xyz um, and you are black it 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 impacts you and so um, hopefully with some of the stories and some of the things that we do that helps foster this kind of decolonized mind um, in young people I'm definitely I'm definitely into that
0: what's next for you uh, you you've done so many things you've been at vice for six years you've done a ton of different things
1: uh, within the vice realm uh, what's next for you where, where where's will gonna be five years from now? I have no idea hopefully tell, telling cool stories I think that's like the main the main thing you know um, I just want to keep keep it going keep telling fascinating exciting stories if I can. I'm going to definitely be writing still, but if I can do more video, if I can do films, if I can, you know, I will take it as far as we can go. I'm on this panel at Ohio University um, for this thing called the Schoonerman Symposium. There's people in there who are, have backgrounds in VR, people who have backgrounds in different types of storytelling. And I was just thinking the other day, like, you know, it would be cool to make a, a video game journalistic project, you know, or like what, what are the new opportunities? Like if if there's a new way for me to do something and and do it cool, then I want to be a part of it. And I know Vice is is going to continue to just expand and grow and and do so many different things. So whatever, whatever they get into, I'm going to try to hopefully get my hands dirty with that as well.
0: I know you're at the beginning of your career. I'm towards the end of my career, but what excites me is the technology that's going to allow us to tell stories in a different way that people experience the stories, not just read it or watch it and have an internal emotional reaction but actually can feel the fear or, or the excitement or whatever the story will, will prompt uh, through VR and, and other things. That, that's really exciting.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many different awesome things that are happening right now. And, you know, I've seen a lot of change happen while I've been at Vice because one of my first things to to do at Vice was to help launch uh, vice.com. That was one of the first jobs I had as an assistant editor was switching our website over and really getting into modern era digital web, you know. And so uh, to see... all the advancements that have happened in the past six years is is incredible, and it just makes me excited because I know that there are different audiences that check out different things. There are people that are familiar with my work on Viceland and, uh, you know, YouTube who've never read any of my writing, and there are people who read all my writing and never watch my videos, and so any way I can reach more people or connect with people, I'm excited to do it, and if I can if I can fulfill the responsibility of, uh, as a storyteller of getting these stories out there in a more effective way, I'll take it. Today, we've talked
0: with Will Cooper, a senior editor for Vice Media Inc. His primary focus has been on covering race and law enforcement. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host. Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast, or you can review it through iTunes. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.